Welcome, 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 welcome. You've been on the podcast for three months and now you are this one too. I'd like to welcome you to the Word on Hill and I am like a guy one. I am like a guy one. Father Peter Mazet. The irony is that it would have rhymed better if you called yourself Lanky Guy 2. But that's fine. Power move over there. <laughs> and you listed things. <laughs> this is the Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. I'm Lanky Guy number two. <laughs> You're number two in my book. Thanks, man. <laughs> We're number two. I don't need, I, I, I started humming a tune and it turned into the Gilligan's it Island. It was Gil- yeah, Gilligan's Island. Which I, I don't know. Dude, I just literally have was, not thought about Gilligan's Island in years and years. And it just bubbled spontaneously to my brain. It somehow was, was being manifest in your heart. Dude, you, I think you need to deal with that. I think I need to deal with the fact that I am Gilligan. You feel marooned on a desert island when you just signed up for a three-hour tour. Dude. That's all I was trying to get into. <laughs> Maybe that's how you feel about the podcast deep down. You're like, I was just going to do this for a month or two. And, <laughs> and then five years. Five years. Five years later. five-hour podcast. Yeah, year, five year, five hour. Yeah, well, it anyway. is the fifth Sunday in ordinary time. Oh, lots of fives today. Yeah, it's fives. Today is brought to you by the number five. Yes. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the number three. And the number three. And um, four, too, because it's February 4th. Mm. And so it's actually two, mm. four, five. What's the five? Fifth Sunday in ordinary time. Sure, but two, four, 17, really. <sighs> Two, four, seventeen, sixteen. Um, it's lost no, the numbers now, right? <laughs> Is that right? Anyway, um, our yeah, first you reading said it first Sunday, fifth Sunday, fifth Sunday in ordinary time. Our first reading is from the Job, number seven, one through four. We skip five. That's where our f- oh, that's five. Okay, that's where everything gets weird. Yep, and then it's uh, six, <laughs> six to seven. <laughs> that is, yeah, I can kind of understand why they pulled five. It was yeah. it, it it brought it to a much more visceral level. I know the 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 uh, liturgy likes to skip the more visceral <laughs> passages <laughs> from time to time. All right, the Job. Uh, our responsorial psalm is Psalm one forty seven, toward the end of the Psalter, the last three. Right? Are there one hundred fifty psalms? Yeah, the, yeah, they've peppered us with one hundred fifty psalms, which I think uh, is significant that it falls at the end. But one forty seven uh, verses one through two, three through four, five through six, and the response coming from three a, a, and then a. our second reading, our segundo, mm. uh, segundo plata, our second plate. <laughs> what, how do you say that in Italian? I don't know. I don't know Italian. I don't either. So, um, <laughs> how about Latin? Do you know Latin? Uh, very little. Okay. I so, know Greek and Hebrew. First uh, Corinthians nine yes. sixteen to nine, and then twenty two to twenty three. Also jumping over the visceral. Dude, I have to say that um, I think that there's something special inside <laughs> of um, flaming hot Cheetos with limon. Because, like, I just feel spicy, man. I just feel ready to go. Those were particularly spicy ones today. Yes. Make no mistake. Our gospel is from the gospel of Mark. Speaking of spicy hot, Peter's mother-in-law, mother-in-law, <laughs> got hit with some of the spices. Mark, Mark chapter yeah, 1. Wow. Uh, verses 29 through, I don't even know what that means. I don't either, man. Mark but... chapter 1, verse 29 through 39. I'm surprised at how hard you laughed. It made me second guess, like, did I say something inappropriate? No, you know how it's like your brain just I takes do. something that somebody else says, and, and then it just wanders in, in absurd <sighs> connections? Yeah, I do. That's like, that's basically what you do to me. Thanks, man. 
That's what you do to me in Absurd Connection Day. Absurd Connection Day for you and me. All right, so I've spent... um, I'm in a weird mood today because I've spent a lot of time in Job. <laughs> really, Dude. like, trying to understand. Like, it's one of those books... I Again... We've been doing this podcast for five years, so I'm sure we did a podcast on this reading. I'm sure. But Job does not show up very often in the liturgy. Let's no. just get that out of the way. And I'm sure we did this years ago, but I don't have any memory um, because I, I couldn't. You know, Job is one of those. We kind of have a, a category. Oh, it's that guy that everything stunk. Right? <laughs> everything was terrible for that guy. But I, I, it's a really long book. It's a really important book. It's a profound book. Beautiful and I needed structure in that book. Beautiful actually. structure, but I needed to spend some time in it this morning, um, which I did, but it, it left me, I think, rightly so, feeling a little weird. Yeah. Because I think that's the right response to it. And I've been, I've been, I've been trying, and I'm really hoping that I can uh, sort of disseminate all that's kind of happening in my heart with Job um, and how it connects to the other readings in a way that's articulate. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm a little worried about that. I hope it can come out correctly. Well, man, I, I look at Job and, and like, I had a brother frame this for me once where he just got Neil? so... No. Um, a priest friend. and um, Oh, he, a brother. A brother. Got it. Yeah, not my brother, <laughs> but it. a brother. Gotcha. Um, and a quick shout out to Father Mark from Life on the Rock on EWTN. Oh, he Mark. is a listener. You are awesome. And it is like, it was so awesome to see you at the March uh, the Walk for Life in San Francisco. And for the interview, you were awesome, and thank you for taking the time. That was it was wonderful to see, you, and I'm so glad you listened. Indeed. But um, that was the that was a in media race um, in the middle of things shout out because I was talking about a priestly brother who framed something for me. It wasn't Father Mark, though. I assume. No, it's not okay. Father Mark who, who framed this for me. Um, and um, I, what was so crazy is that he said he was like he always struggled with the fact that this was actually in scripture. Rightly so. Because it's Ma- so down to the depths. Well, man. not only that, and I don't want to take your thunder, but but not only that, reading Job, the vast majority of what you read in Job is wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's like despair. But it's not even, like, yes, there's a lot of despair. But what I mean by that, like if you read Job, a great deal of Job is all of these, remember Job's friends yeah. who keep sort of arguing, this is why all these terrible things are happening. This is because you've sinned. It's because you stink. It's because God is this. And all of what they say is incorrect. Right. And it's part of the literary design of the book. So you can, this is why, this is why we don't cherry pick the scriptures. <laughs> right. Because like you sit down, I'm just going to read some scripture and get edified. Oh, I'm reading chapter six of Job in which not only is it depressing, but everything it's saying is theologically wrong. Which right. is what it's meant to be doing. It doesn't make the Bible wrong. It means the Bible is trying to show you this is not how to look at the world. Well, and that's why I say its structure is really beautiful and actually re- it's important. It's it's the only way that you can actually navigate Job to where, like my brother, when he set it up for me to say, like the reality of uh, of the emotional qualities of Job, the, the kind of horrendous arguments that are levied towards him, the difficulty of the angelic setup. Um, it's because basically the, the book of Job is, you know, Satan comes to God and says this guy. The wager. The wager. He says, I bet you I can get this guy to fall away. Well, it's not only that. I mean, there's a deeper question to it. And the deeper question of, you know, okay, I bet I can get this guy to, to blow it. The deeper question is, the wager asks the question, can man love God for his own sake? Altruism, which yeah. is like, it's the altruistic question, which That's is it. like, it, 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 it's, this is an ancient dilemma. That is, which, which is significant that you brought that up, just as a, a bit of an aside, well, not an aside, but 
Um, a little bit of context for Job, because I think that helps a little bit too. Job's it's a it's a weird book structurally, historically, everything else. Uh, it seems to be set in the patriarchal age. It shows up kind of late in the Bible, as far right. as uh, spatially where it shows up, where it's uh, where the editor put it. Yeah, exactly right. But it's actually placed in the patriarchal age, and we we, we got like the time of Abrahamish, like really early on, early world. And we know that because you know when Job's possessions are all taken away, they measure his possessions in cattle and servants, which is what you would do in the patriarchal age. Um, his enemies are nomadic. You know, Chaldeans and and groups that you show show up in the time of Abraham. Um, he seems to be performing priestly duties in his household. He's the priest of his household, which means he predates the Levites, right? Right. When the the father was the priest of the family. Um, this is a side. I I find little fascinating things in this. Um, Job has camels, if you recall, which is interesting because according to Leviticus, camels are considered unclean. Oh. Which tells me that this predates the laws of Moses and Leviticus. Oh, yeah. So there's all these little kind of markers like, okay, this is this is sort of where we are. And the reason I think that's important is well, first of all, I'll just I'll just say this. And I, I have very limited knowledge. There's a guy in Genesis chapter forty six that shows up in one of the genealogies named Eob, I O B. Um, which some scholars think, like, is that Job? Is is Job a historical figure or is Job sort of a parable? And, and I don't know the answer to that. And um, either way, the, the scriptures are, are using this. You know, the 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 story of the prodigal son and the father, were they actually historical figures? Or is Jesus using these figures to teach? Mm. Uh, what is Job? I don't know. Um, whoever he is, whether he's a historical figure or whether he's being used to sort of symbolize something, um, the, the ancient rabbinic tradition, the ancient, the most ancient tradition actually talks about Job being written by Moses. Sort of in the same category as the Pence, the Torah, right? Those first five books. Weird. And if that's true, if Moses did write it, which is a tradition, um, the idea was that he actually wrote Job to comfort the Israelites who were in slavery under Pharaoh. Weird. Which kind of changes the context a little bit. Like, this isn't just a book floating out in space about suffering. What if it's written to the Israelites who are literally suffering under Pharaoh? And some other schools of thought think it's written much, much later around the time of the Babylonian exile, which has the similar point, like given to a group of people who are suffering profoundly and being made to ask the question, how do you make sense of a world of suffering? And this is the fundamental perennial question of Job and of all of humanity. Why do bad things happen to good people? Right. right? To put it in its most simple form. And the answer that the book of Job gives at the end of the day is putting you on the spot. Why do bad things happen to good people? Do you know Job's answer? I don't. Know and I'm not Job's trying to answer. trick you. No, but, no. I, but I, but, this I, but is where, I don't want. I don't want to get this wrong to frame it wrongly for people. It gives such pause, and it should frustrate you a little bit, right? Um, because it frustrates Job. But the answer is essentially, we don't know. And that's what we're left with. And there's something beautiful about that because the book of Job, I've I've come to love it in just even, you know, this morning of studying it because it doesn't supply any easy answers because mm. life is not, we're not given easy answers. We're not mm. given these, these platitudes of like, oh, well, it's okay because of this. And, you know, just offer up your suffering and everything will be great. I mean, that's not human experience. No. Human experience is that we suffer and sometimes we just can't figure out why. Right. And God's ultimate answer to Job as to why is this happening? Because all of his friends are like, it's because of what you, you, surely you did something to get punished for this. Job's response at different points is like, like, maybe God's just mad at me and I can't figure out why. Or maybe God is capricious or, or I don't know. And the ultimate answer at the end of the book, it's a very long book. 
And the answer at the end, of, and I think even there's a literary device in the fact that it's so long, because sometimes suffering is long and drawn out. And Terminally long. It's terminal. Yeah. And the answer at the very end is God is saying, who are you to ask? Who are you to ask to know my ways? My ways are beyond yours. That's your answer, Job. And then, you know, at the end of the story, Job's fortunes are 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 put back in order. He's given double the animals he had. All of his children are, he's given new children. You know, things are, are to the best they can be made right. Right. But God still gives him the answer. Your ways are not my ways. Right. That's how you deal with suffering. And what the other thing I love about uh, the book of Job is that it's really a book about wisdom. And so it's often categorized with the wisdom literature. And what I kind of find fascinating about it is that this idea of, well, how do you get to what wisdom is? What is wisdom? And it's one of those terms we throw out a lot, especially when we study the scriptures. Wisdom in the book of Job is basically the understanding that I don't understand. <laughs> right? That's what yeah. wisdom is. And what I love about Job, and this was on my mind in a particular way today, um, Job, uh, the sources of wisdom, like how do you find wisdom? How do you begin to understand the ways of God? Well, in the book of Job, wisdom is to be understood by both creation and human experience. That's how you gain wisdom because God speaks through his creation. And if this is perhaps written in a time before the written scriptures, if that's true, then what do we have? We have the revelation of God through what he has made. And what does creation tell us? Creation tells us, and you know, I don't know where you guys are. You guys are listening from all over the world, and that's a very beautiful thing. We're big in Japan and Australia. What's up? Yeah, amazingly so. We're huge in Australia somehow. Maybe there was a fluke in somebody's internet. Maybe it was a cat hitting download on somebody's (laughs) iPhone all day. I don't know. This is the thing, man. If you're from Australia, please let us know you're listening from down under. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. But here's the thing with creation, and I'll, I'll I'll call it a day after I say this, and then we can move on. Um, but, you know, so I, I I do a lot in the outdoor world, right? And we have Camp Oitiwa, and we have some CFRs that are on a, a, a backcountry snowshoe trip right now. And I'm thinking about creation, right? And um, I'll, I want to see if this makes sense or not. And this could tick some of you off, because I know we have a lot of native Coloradans listening, and a lot of Coloradans like to talk this way, but I'll tell you one of my pet peeves. Uh-oh. Um, we have these uh, mountains in Colorado called 14ers, which are all of our mountains over 14,000 feet. And one of the big things in Colorado was climbing all the 14ers. And people talk about bagging 14ers or conquering 14ers. Oh, I know this. Yeah, and they I do don't hate this. like that. It's a pet peeve of mine. I conquered that mountain. And the bottom line is we don't – if you climb a mountain, you didn't conquer anything. You, you've defeated your defeatism. Like you, there, there's a, a school of thought in outdoor education that you can defeat your defeated. You haven't defeated a mountain. You've defeated maybe you know, your self-doubt or your limitations or whatever. But the mountain's still standing there. You're just on top of it. But if you climb a mountain, you actually have to submit to that mountain. You can't just power through. You got to find where the roots are. You have to find the, the appropriate places if you're climbing. If you're, you got to be roped in at times. Like you have to submit to what creation is doing. If you're whitewater rafting, you've got to submit to the river. You can't overpower a river. This you know winter trip that we're on. The weather's intense. There's snow. There are elements, and they will kill you if you're not careful. If you are tapped into creation, which is what Job is trying to teach us, you will begin to understand that we are small. And we are limited. Mm. And we have a God who's bigger than we are. Mm. And we're limited by that. And the human experience of suffering says, I do not understand. And I, God's will and creation, these things do not bend to me. I must bend to the will of God. 
And that's ultimately the lesson that Job uh, comes to the conclusion of. All of this is backdrop to a very brief little window we get today, which is Job basically saying in the middle of this whole messy situation, he's actually responding to one of his friends that's talking about, well, you must have done something terrible. And he basically comes back saying, yeah, things stink. And this is what it feels like. And it's a depressing first reading to get. He's like, isn't man's life a drudgery? His, his days are those of hirelings. I'm like a slave who longs for the shade. I'm like a hired servant who longs for his wages. It's misery. All this stuff allotted to me. And basically, I'm going to start to use a metaphor. Like, basically, it's and it's fast. And it goes, if you've ever seen a yes. weaver's shuttle, they're yeah. just throwing it between those things. And that's actually the whole way you can make a rug. And like... My yes. eye will not see happiness again. Yeah. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And that's yeah, what we're given. Yeah, that's a question mark. Thanks be to God. I, I look at this God. and I mean, this is the this is the hard thing is like we pray the liturgy of the hours um as religious. So yes. I, I've just been thinking a lot about how like there's a gift. The highest liturgy in the church is the mass. The second highest is the liturgy of the hours. Yeah. So religious make a commitment to pray the psalms all the time, and um, contained with religious it, meaning priests, sisters, mm, brothers, you know those, and even some third order. Yeah, right. You know, so there's this thing to where <clears throat> you read and you engage, and I look at this. Um, that's this is not where everybody is. Yeah. This is not, not everybody's living to where it's like, it's like when I lie down, when shall I arise? And then the night drags on. Yeah. Like, dude, you know, I hate that moment when like your night, you, the, you try to sleep and you're just totally, I'm filled with restlessness until dawn. And yeah. you're just tossing and turning and, and like you're, you're weighed down with many cares and struggles. And yeah. I hate that feeling. My dad calls it dawn patrol, man. Dawn patrol. Yeah. You're just waiting for it. You're just waiting for the dawn to come. And you're, and when it comes, it's not a, it's not a joy. It's a misery because it means that you'd never got rest. Which is a metaphor for how life often is. It is. But when we hear this. And we're not always there. Right. And it, not everybody is there. And when we hear this, it's but, it's to remind us, like when we pray the Psalms, to remember that we are we are a church together and that when one one of us celebrates we all celebrate and when one is miserable we're all miserable with them yeah. that like we actually experience mm. and like it's not ours but we we can allow this stuff in without without um having to defend against it it's not mm. like it's not like you, you know you you look at this and you go like man i just want to be happy you know what yeah, i'm saying right like i look at that and i'm like man i'm sure i'm glad i'm not there no it's like yeah. it's like no it's okay it's actually right. okay like even in this moment it's okay if somebody's here it it's not to be just roundly and and summarily rejected right which is something which is that's really hard to remember within the church Yes. We can be a land of happy people. Let's portray the joy. No, sometimes it's just jacked up and it's just jacked up and there's no, we don't have the reasons and it's not clear why. Yes. And, and and I can't discern it. I don't really know how to name it. I'm going to do my very best to, yeah. but I'm still going to submit myself like you're talking about submitting to the mountain. You got to submit. Sometimes it's just, yep, surrender Dorothy, man. And what's beautiful about that is whether you're there or not and whether you've experienced that or not, there is just something universal in the human experience that says, yeah. That's true. And I, it, there, there's it, there's something beautiful about Job in the sense of it's, you know, we all have those friends that you, you talk about, you're struggling, and, you know, things are hard, and they just want to solve the problems, right? But sometimes you just want to just be heard. Like, things are hard. Yeah. Right. That's hard. You know what I mean? 
And sometimes there's not a foreseeable solution. This is what this piece of salvation history is telling us. But what's beautiful about it is that the story of salvation history and even our schema of readings this week don't actually leave us there. Mm. And that's, I think, one of the things that we're going to be shown. So that takes us to the psalm, I think. Praise be the Lord who heals the brokenhearted. Which is, in a certain sense, an answer to Job in the sense that praise the Lord because it's not going to last forever. Right. And I mean, there is something just, how many chapters is Job? Job is an absurd amount of chapters. 42 chapters, I think, of just stinks, right? 42 chapters. That's a long stinking book. That's two lashes past 40. <laughs> that's right. Of course, that's added later on. That's that's not canonical, the chapter numbers. No, that's true. Yes. But it regardless, it's long. It's, and it's, it's a lot of time spent in hard times. And it makes you kind of ask this question, like, how long is this going to last? Like, oh my gosh. Which, even that's part of the human experience. Like, how long, oh Lord? And then the psalm steps in to answer the question. Not explicitly and not with a number, but saying, no, the Lord will heal the brokenhearted. Right. It might not seem like it. You might not be able to see the light on the horizon yet. But we need you to know, says the psalmist, that the Lord will heal the brokenhearted. He will do that. It is not inevitable. It is not eternal. Suffering will not have the final say, as it seems for so much of Job like it will. And even Job's left with not understanding. But what he's meant to understand is that it will not have the final say. That's not the will of God. And what I love about the psalm, the way the Psalter is arranged, the Psalter being all of the Psalms together. There's 150 Psalms, right? Which we've been peppered with. Which we've been peppered with. Um, but they're, they're separate. If you were to look at the Psalms in your Bible, they're labeled in terms of five books, right? I think we've talked about this on the podcast. They're, they're categorized. So there's book one, Psalm, Psalm, Psalm. Book two, Psalm, 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 Psalm. Book three, book four, book five. And each of those five books, like cat groupings of Psalms, are essentially telling the story of salvation history in song form, right? So the first two set, the first two books, they're all about the kingdom. They, they use the word David more than any other chunk of the Bible. The David, 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 kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. They're basically talking about this time in Israel's history where God was with them and they, they had a kingdom and things were, you know, flowing. And then you hit book three and everything gets real dark and David's name disappears all of a sudden. And it's woe is me and it's where are you, Lord? And it's the waters have reached my neck, Lord. And things are really hard recounting the story of when Israel fell into great darkness because of their sin, they fell into exile. And then there's this book four, which is all about, okay, well, now things stink. Where do we find God? And there's a lot of creation based Psalms saying, well, you know, I can look to the sky and just as the sun moves from the east to the west, so God is, I can see him. And then he had the last book, book five, and that's the book where everything begins to sort of reemerge. Mm. And the psalm, the, the Psalter itself begins to say, no, there's, it's coming back. Mm. God is going to redeem all of this. You see the Davidic Psalms show up, the kingdom Psalms all come back because God is not going to leave us in this dark place forever. And that's, it's not coincidental that that's where our psalm comes from. Yeah, and he says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He tells the numbers of the stars. He calls each by name. Yes. Like, this is the, this is the thing. It's like, um, in Job, the, this, it's the kind of, like, deepest summary of the incapability to name what's happening. Yeah, that's a good, I like that. It's because it, it's yeah, it's precisely yeah. being deep in the funk without the ability to name. Then, yeah. then yeah. you find yourself here, and he says, "No, no, no! It will be named. 
It will be named. It will be named. You're the, not the one to name it, but I'm it will not, be named. That's exactly right. Yes. And and I'm going to do my best to try to name it. And if I can, God be praised. If I cannot, I know that the Lord will is my vindicator mm. and that I know he will heal the brokenhearted mm. and I, my hope will never be lost. Yes. Even if I have to go through all five books of the Psaltery to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you and, say Psaltery? Yeah. It's good. Yeah. No. What, <laughs> that's what, true. What, 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 did I say it wrong? No. I think you said psaltery. I did say psaltery. <laughs> Stop it. What is it? Stop assaulting me. Oh, uh, Salter. Salter. <laughs> I couldn't even, I didn't I, even register it, man. I've been making to too that. many pepper jokes is really what uh, it was. You didn't yeah, you, get the pepper jokes oh, till I now. Didn't get, oh, that's what you, I was I kept, like, why does he keep saying that? Because it's a psaltery. Oh, he's peppering it. Well played, Father uh, Peter. Dude, I How made, long until I realize that I'm making joke. a joke? Well, oh. this is the thing is, <laughs> brothers and sisters, if I preach the gospel with absurdities and puns and mm. things, this is no reason for me to boast. <laughs> oh, so we're in First Corinthians. Because <laughs> it's an obligation that has been imposed upon me. <clears throat> and woe to me if I don't preach it with puns. Okay, here's the thing about First Corinthians. Um, how do I say this is where This is where I want to say this. Right, and I want to say what I think I'm seeing. Okay, we're going to navigate this one like it is a technical off-roading experience. There is, this doesn't answer the question, this isn't universal, but there is a sense, there's a semblance in the Old Testament of guys like Job Mm -hmm. who are inflicted with suffering and are struggling to try to figure it out. That's pre-cross, that's pre-passion, it's pre-Jesus, God becoming incarnate, right? Right. Once God becomes incarnate, once he goes to the cross, once he shows us the ultimate love that he has, once he actually, this is the moment in human history where God defines not necessarily the why of suffering, but the what of suffering. Mm. And saying suffering is not the end. Look, I will myself, says God. The God who Job questioned, the guy, God who his friends criticized and, and tried to put in a box. That same God says, okay, you want to understand suffering? I'm not going to give you the easy answer, but I myself will come and suffer and show you that the suffering will not defeat me as an icon. Mm. And on the other side of that event, you have somebody like Paul, who if you read through this carefully, it's a, it's a strange passage. But whereas Job is sort of like, I'm suffering, it's sort of inflicted upon me, I don't know what to do with this. You have somebody like Paul saying, okay, I actually understand suffering a little better, so I will consciously take suffering on myself, because I now understand that suffering can have a redemptive power. Suffering on its own is just suffering. But when it's united to the cross and to Christ, it can bring redemption. So in this whole section, he talks about and it's weird. Out of context, it doesn't make sense, but the Corinthian church is criticizing Paul. They're upset with him because he's been kind of critical with them. And he says things like, you know, I have the right to have a salary for what I do. He's like, you know what? I forewent that salary. I decided not to get paid for what I did. I decided to to, to um, uh, give up, to sacrifice getting paid for what I do for you guys so that you can never accuse me of trying to be in it for making money. He says later on, I had the right to uh, have a wife. It's actually the part that we skip over, I think. I had the right to be married, but I chose to be celibate because I didn't want anything to take away from the ministry that I want to give to you wholeheartedly. He's actually, if you read it carefully, he's describing what self-sacrifice actually means, which on its own, it's kind of hard to like, why did the church put that in the schema of readings? But if you see it in the fullest light, 
what Paul is saying is, you know, the experience of Job, I'm actually going to take some of that on by my own free will. I can fast from things. I can sacrifice things. I can actually submit myself to those things, knowing that there's actually redemption that will come out of those things. Mm -hmm. It's a whole different understanding of what suffering actually is. We're still not given the easy answer. Like, why do people suffer? I don't know. But I do know that there's ways that I can... Uh, inflicting suffering, that's the wrong way to put it. But you well, know what I'm saying? But well, like, yeah, but this is the thing. is It's so easy to do this in the wrong way. Yes. So like, so that's, like, why I'm, that's why I'm being really hesitant. Yeah. So what, what can happen is that you can read Paul and you can say, all of a sudden, what we're going to be doing is... Um, now the gospel as athletic event, or like, um, you, you know, she like, does use that language in First Corinthians. Yeah, but running so as to win. I know, but I know that's not what you're saying. Sorry, I was... what I what I'm saying is it can be some sort of macho thing. Oh yeah, L- yeah look yeah. how much I'm taking on in the sufferings. Yes, but this is the thing is that is that you don't take them on to yourself. You join yourself to Christ, and in as much as you are willing to join yourself to Christ, then and be configured to him, you can suffer with him. Yes. But if you try to make this a macho thing about how much I can do, you'll go insane. Yes. Literally, you'll lose your you'll lose your mind. I Absolutely. have seen it happen. Absolutely. Where somebody says, I'm going to try to take what's proper only to Christ, yeah. to myself. And literally, the de- the amount of deliverance that you have to do out of that, because because what does Jesus do? Yeah. Jesus defeats the principalities and powers. Yes. How does he do it? He does it in physical form. That's actually why I'm a little bit bummed they did not include in Job the fact that he was scraping pus off of his body and... <laughs> That that he was that he you know wet himself in the middle of the night and like like he like he was inflicted in bodily suffering because because this this is the thing is that is that this is real this is found yeah. within our members more pus more pus in the liturgy <laughs> you're awful dude That's, you're the one that said it no I did not say it that way you're the one who said it that oh, way whatever. okay so so like yeah. I, but but it's he's he's free. Because he knows supremely Paul. the treasure of Christ, yes, yeah, and that's where like he can lay his life down willingly with Christ, right, and and yes. nobody takes it from him, but he lies lays it down willingly, and that's right. why his litany of of powerful things is yeah. is going on. Yeah, because suffering is not meaningless anymore, and it wasn't meaningless to Job, but it was this big question mark, right? And 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 the thing that's beautiful is Job. The conclusion of Job again is. My ways are un- unfathomable to you. Right. But then the beauty of the New Testament, the beauty of St. Paul, is that God actually does something to make his ways just a little bit more fathomable to mm. us. It doesn't happen until, I mean, that's a long wait through all of human history until Jesus comes. But then God's ways are just slightly more fathomable. They're not, we still can't fathom God. But that's what Paul's getting at. There's a little bit. You have a little bit more insight than Job did. Yep. Which is beautiful, which takes us to the gospel, I think. Which marks uh, our next passage. Mark. Gospel. So we're leaving the synagogue. So we, we are hot on the heels of our reading from last week where it's the, the, the first exorcism that Jesus performs. Remember, he's in, the, he's in the synagogue. He's given a homily. Somebody interrupts him. A demon is like, hey, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Um, that whole deal. So right after that, he comes to, <laughs> to Simon's mother-in-law, uh, to Simon's yeah mother-in-law's house. <laughs> I'm not going to make any connections with mother-in-laws and demons and any of that. Sometimes you just did. Sometimes commentators love to do this, and I, I've kind of gotten annoyed by it. But here's here's the thing. Here's what I will say. There is a sense in Mark. Mark is is more explicit than the other gospel writers about this, because there's this weird link between demons and a sick mother-in-law. 
What she's got is probably scholars think, you know, based on the symptoms that are described, she probably has malaria and she's gotten very, very ill, which would have been common in this time in this part of the world. Um, but here, here, here's what I think is important. Mark is weirdly linking a demonic possession with an ill mother-in-law. And in about a chapter and a half or a couple chapters, he'll link that same thing with the storm on the sea. Remember that? Mm-hmm. All of these things for, for Mark, and it's strange, demonic possession, uh, illness, bad weather, they're all sort of described in the same way. And Jesus rebukes all of them in the same way, which is really weird because you're like, well, bad weather is not necessarily demonic. Yeah, no, it's not. But one of the things that Mark is trying to tell us, what is Jesus doing? The world, because of original sin, is a mess. Yeah. Demons have authority over people. There is illness. There is suffering. There is creation lashing out against us. They're not the same thing, but all of them are symptomatic of a broken, fallen world. What has Christ come to do? Well, Mark wants to make it abundantly clear that what Christ came to do is reconcile a broken, fallen, messy world back to himself. That includes demons. That includes illness. That includes creation lashing out against us. All of it. And that's what's beautiful about Mark. It's not a piecemealed approach to salvation. God is going to heal all of it and take all things unto himself, which is kind of neat. So, I mean, yeah, Peter's mother-in-law is not possessed. But it's, it's for Jesus, it's fixing a broken world. And it's another symptom of a world that's not as it should be. And so he's saying, yeah, why do we suffer? Well, there's deep reasons for that. But what I came to do is begin to bring the end to that. Mm. Does that make any sense? Absolutely, it does. And I think there's more. But I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm uh, talking too much. It's... It's a big movement. I mean, like as we go through these through three movements in in our four movements in our readings today, about Job in a certain sense is invited to suffer and to try to remain faithful. Yep. Is it possible for the righteous to remain faithful when it's not their choice? Yes. Then we go and we say there is healing in Jesus Christ, and mm-hmm. now because we've entered into a new era, we see Paul who says, "Okay." Now I'm not just going to be in despair and say there is meaninglessness and there's no answer to what my suffering is, but I see Jesus Christ, and because I see Jesus Christ, I know that the answer to suffering is the salvation of mankind. Yes. And yeah, so, and yeah. so, and so, in a certain sense, we jump, and so it's a jump. When then we then then it's made explicit in Jesus Christ to say, right. okay. What what does because what does his mother in law do? She experiences healing. She's not suffering. Now what does she do? She serves immediately. Yeah. And there's a service in service. There's suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Like like anytime you're serving. Now there, there's there's advantages. There's some altruism there. Is is it possible for somebody to live altruism? Yeah. Um. And like and that's what's so powerful is that we see that okay, Jesus's ministry is in fact setting humanity free. So. So that they can say yes to being bound up with God, whose longing is for the whole human race to be with him, is longing for not some sort of temporary fix, because that's what we see in Job is that we see this like the friends are always arguing for the temporary reality, just curse God and everything's gonna be okay. Right. Just like, just bail and you're going to be okay. Right. And Job's like, no, man, there's something longer. And so there's some reward for the fidelity that he shows. Yes. St. Paul says, no, man, I'll die in obscurity. It's all. Oh, it's all right because I know who I'm supposed to be. Yes. And Jesus, and then we say, okay, well, what does this look like concretely in our lives? Mm. 
you know what the Lord will because because truth is is that I know people who are exactly like Simon's mother-in-law sick sick healed and ah, serve and serve and and, and like the, the, like I, I feel like that yeah. that you and I are both the cases of that yeah I was yeah. I was sick in sin yeah. I was healed by the Lord, and now I get a chance to serve. And the great joy and the glory of my life is service. Which is the only proper response to disciple. It's the only proper response to recognizing what God has done in our lives. Yes. And the Hebrew word, or the Greek word that's used here in the gospel is diakonos. That's what she does. Uh, She's, she starts deaconing, <laughs> which means to serve. <laughs> right. Which is a ministerial term, honestly, right. which is there's something beautiful. There's also something beautiful. I mean, if you, if you put where this is in... Mark as a whole. So Mark is a, it's such a terse, it's very quick. So yeah, right before this, they were in the synagogue and there was that demon. But right before that last week or the two weeks ago, it was the call of the disciples. So you have the disciples are called into ministry. They follow after Jesus. They go with him. He gives the homily. There's demons. But there's something beautiful about the fact that once they're called into discipleship, what does Jesus do? He takes an intimate interest in their personal lives. Let me go visit your mother-in-law. Let me see your family. I care about those things. Mm. What else is going on in your life? I want to come to your house. I want to come to your mother-in-law's house. There's something profoundly beautiful about that. And then once he enters into all of those parts of our lives and begins to heal it, yeah, the only proper response is, I serve. Servium, mm. right? I have, to, I have to respond. There's one other thing I just want to note. I don't know where this fits into anything and take it for whatever you will, but it's it's a note for me. Again, I don't know what to do with it exactly, but I was struck by it. So I'm just going to throw it out because I, I was struck with it. But if you keep reading, um, we kind of jump to another another section. Um, so he's healing everybody. Everybody's coming to the house. They're like, well, we got to be healed too. We're de- you know, we have demons and he's healing everybody and everybody's going crazy. Um, and then it says in this very last part, rising very early before dawn, he left. So he gets up really early. Mm. He goes out of town. He went off to a deserted place where he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him pursued him and they found him and they said, hey, everybody's looking for you. And he's like, geez, it's already, it's only 6 a.m., whatever. He's like, everybody's looking for you. And he said, all right, let's go to the nearby villages that I may preach there also. For this purpose I have come. And so he went to their synagogues preaching and he drove out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. And I might be reading into the text and I'm, I'm not trying to put words or emotions in Jesus that might not be there. But I'm thinking about this scene and Jesus Yes, he's God, 100% God, but he also takes on all of humanity. He mm. becomes like us in all things but sin. And he just spent a day, you know, being with somebody's family. I mean, you you know, I mean, you, you go to do last rites or something with someone. And then not only the whole family, but the whole hospital and the whole town is like, can I talk to you too? I have something to talk to you about too. I want to, you know, can I hear my confession? Two minutes. I mean, it's just, <laughs> that's a lot. And so he gets up super early and he's like, I just need some space. I just need some time. So I'm going to go in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to wake up before everybody. You know, I um, you know, I have three little kids, and I'm not comparing myself to Jesus, but I have three little kids. Life is busy. You know, there's a million things going on in my life, and so in the morning, you know, I try to get up before everybody else, maybe to have a second to myself, have a sip of coffee, and then start making making breakfast and making making uh, lunches for everybody. And my wife, you know, she has the evening shift. I have the morning shift, but I'll try to get up before anybody else. And is that there's that feeling of like somebody's yelling at, you know, it's 545, everybody's asleep, and then I hear somebody, like, you take your first sip of coffee, and someone's like, Dad! And I'm like, oh, just give me a second. But, yeah, but what the big shift is, is I know in the ministry when I get uh, tired of, hey, Father, do you have one second? Do you have two seconds? Can I borrow a minute? And then it's <laughs> yeah. it's never one minute. It's never right, two right. seconds. It's not just Dad. It's it's a complex of things. Oh, yeah. And, and the difference in my spirit is, 
this is being taken from me as I'm taking my sip of coffee yeah. versus saying, I will give of myself today. Right. And it's but, this fundamental spiritual attitude, which, which, um, I have both. Yeah. The, the, right, don't get right, me right, wrong. Like right. the both of, and, and both have been demonstrated for us in the midst of this. <laughs> yeah. But when, but when you can just, when you can pony up and you could become a yes man and you yeah. could say, yeah. Right. Like, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I do. I have two seconds for you. Right. Like, <laughs> right. like I will, I will lay my di- life down willingly because you can say, sure. Yeah. Or you can say, sure. Right. And like the, and, and, and both the ways, the healthiest in your heart is when you're saying, I am joined to Christ and I will remain joined with Christ. <clears throat> but there's something beautiful to me about the fact that Christ guess. even experiences that. Right. Like exactly. He, he even he takes knows. that emotion. I, and I, maybe that's not how he's feeling right here, but I, I love to think like, this is hard. I'm, I'm, I've taken on humanity. I'm tired, but I'm going to serve. This is what I came for. This is what I showed up for. You know, and I want yeah. that. I, we want that. Same, like at 545, I'm going to be like, I'm a dad. This is what I signed up for. Right. Let's go. And that's precisely um, how we want you to approach the, the podcast is not the, <laughs> to say, oh, the oh, podcast. The podcast. Do I have to listen to this? Fine play. Okay. Yeah. So, hey, we love you guys. Thanks for listening yeah. to the podcast with willing hearts. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Unless you're a teenager stuck in the backseat of your parents' minivan. Yeah. You know. We have to listen to this again. <laughs> it's like, yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you have to listen to the lanky guys. And we are the Linky Guys. We love you. We do. Um, thanks for all the people who are on the marches oh, uh, yes. in D.C. and in San Francisco and Denver. Uh, you guys standing up for life makes a big difference. And uh, that's what we're all about. Lively, lively, liveliness. We are laying our down, lives down for life. Yes, indeed. Amen. We'll see you next week. Peace. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.